Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Super real. Hey, I'm Julian Morgans, and you're listening to What It Was Like, the show that asks people who have lived through big, dramatic events what it was like. Hey, and welcome to 2024, and welcome to the first app of the new year. And today we're going to do something a little differently to how we usually do things. You know how usually I interview someone with a story? Well, today, I'm the person with the story. And the story is that I spent a lot of last year trying to solve a missing person's case. And why? Why would I do that? Well, I think I've always been interested in missing persons' mysteries. I just think it's oddly accepted that people go missing. You know how sometimes you'll see a poster of all of the people missing in your city, and there's just dozens of them. It doesn't matter where you are. If you live in a city, then your city will have a list of missing people. And I guess it feels like maybe it happens more than I'd expect. Like if someone said to me, hey, Julian, uh, at a guess, how many long-term missing people do you think that there are currently in Australia? And I'd say, hmm, well, interesting, interesting question. Uh, maybe, maybe a couple of hundred Let's say 500, 500 tops. And I would be completely wrong. Right now in Australia, we have approximately 2,600 people who have been missing for more than three months. And of course, in the US, it's much higher. They've got 24,000 long-term missing people. And both the US and Australia, we're talking relatively stable, wealthy countries, absolutely choking on CCTV, uh, you know, and everyone's got a phone emitting a constant stream of GPS data, and yet still we manage to lose people all the time. In every city, we've just lost dozens of people. And I just find that a little bit unsettling. But there's this other thing too, and, and this is probably the main reason I wanted to do this episode, and maybe it's a little hard to explain, but I'll give it a shot. So it's something about the photos. You know when someone goes missing and the family provides an image of their loved one. And usually what they provide is, is just like an intimate family moment. Like it'll be a suburban family scene. It's someone at a long ago birthday party or in a faded school photo. 
Or maybe it's just someone uh, and they're standing in a, in a kitchen and they've got a haircut from the 80s or, or the photo is like a 1970s Polaroid. And I just find something about these photos kind of haunting. And this is the part that's hard to explain because when I look at these photos, I sometimes get this sense that the person that I'm looking at, that they knew something bad was coming. And, and I know that sounds a bit like victim blaming. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just describing this feeling. Um, it's my perception that somehow their faces are kind of similar. It's this look in the eyes as though they have similar problems in their lives, that maybe there's a through line between these images. And it's this, this idea, this kind of nebulous thought that's brought me to this question. And it's the question that's going to drive this episode. And it's this. What happens to people who go missing? Like, across the board, are there any factors between these cases that might shed some light on where they've gone? And to help me to try to answer this question, I did something fairly ambitious. I tried to solve a missing persons case. And I'm just going to say from the offset, you know, just for total transparency, no, I didn't solve the case. Don't listen to this if you're thinking, oh, will he solve the case? Oh my God, what's going to happen? This isn't one of those stories. Um, But I will say, some creepy stuff happened, and I did manage to answer my question. I started by Googling the words missing person New Farm, which was the suburb of Brisbane that I was living in at the time. I just wanted to see if anyone had gone missing locally so that I could, uh, you know, make it easy for myself. I figured that trying to find a missing person was hard enough already. Um, it would be slightly easier if I didn't have to drive a long distance. So I just Googled it, uh, and sure enough, someone had gone missing in the area. His name was Stephen Goldsmith, and Google was full of all of these photos of, of this smiling young man. Uh, he had red hair. He was He's probably in his late 20s. Um, and in the photos, he looks happy. He looks pretty healthy. And I started reading about him, and I discovered this story. Um, and it definitely has some weird details. Stephen was English. He was born in 1972 to David and Leslie Goldsmith. And he also has a younger brother named Ian. Stephen briefly travelled to Australia in the mid-90s, and he loved it. He had such a nice time here that he decided he wanted to apply for a working visa, and he went home to the UK, and then he returned in 1999. And by July of the year 2000, he was living by himself in a nice apartment in the inner suburb of New Farm. And he was working as an arborist, which means that he was pruning trees and, and chopping them down. He was subcontracted to Toowoomba City Council, and Toowoomba is a town about two hours inland from Brisbane. And he'd work there during the week, making pretty good money, and then spend the weekends at his bachelor pad in New Farm. And then he went missing. Stephen was last seen by a mate, this other arborist that he worked with in Toowoomba, on July 6, 2000. Then on Monday, July 10, he was captured on CCTV, and this was the last time that anyone saw him. This was his last little fingerprint on planet Earth. Stephen withdrew $3,000 in cash from a bank ATM, which to me feels like an interesting little wrinkle in this story. But after that, no one knows what happened. He didn't show up for work later that week, and he wasn't answering his phone. So his mate, this guy named Hugh, he decided to drive to Brisbane from Toowoomba. It's about a two-hour drive, so you know, he's a good guy. So he drove all the way to Stephen's apartment just to see what had happened. And he knocked on the door, but there was no answer. So Hugh slipped a little note under the door just saying, uh, Hey mate, can't get on to you. A little bit worried. Please just give me a call. And then Hugh drove home to Toowoomba. And a few days after that, Hugh still hadn't heard anything. 
So we drove back to Brisbane again. It was another four-hour round trip, and this time he convinced the building manager to let him into the apartment. Now, when they got inside the apartment, the first thing that they saw on the floor was Hugh's note. It was still on the ground. Nothing had been changed in days. Stephen's car was still in the garage. No personal items were missing. His phone was there, and a load of washing was still in the dryer. And it basically looked like Stephen had popped down to the shops and then somehow vanished on the way. And no one has ever seen nor heard anything of Stephen ever since. No one's found a body, there were no bank transactions after he went missing, and no one's come forward with any credible leads, even though the police are offering a $250,000 reward for information about his disappearance. And that's the story. And I think it'd be harder to find a case where the person has better fulfilled the definition of vanished. So I figured this was a great case study. I really wanted to get stuck into this case, and in doing so, I hoped that I'd be able to shed some light on why people go missing. So I started by buying a 1-800 number, and I attached this number to a digital answering machine so that people could call in and leave messages. And then I put this 1-800 number on a poster with a photo of Stephen with a little message about who he was um, and inviting people to call in with information. And then I printed 100 copies of this poster and I stuck them all around Brisbane. And something I didn't expect was just how awkward I found it putting up these posters. I think these posters were kind of hardcore. Like, uh, it's just this big black font that says, have you seen this man? Um, And it's, I don't know, it's probably a more conspicuous poster than one for a missing cat. And every time I put one of these things up, I'd feel self-conscious. Like, yeah, hey, I'm (laughs) I'm a true crime podcaster and I'm trying to... Yeah, I know. So I just, I felt like a... I felt like a bit of a tourist to this case. Um, and I guess my self-doubt extended to me thinking that the whole thing was stupid and it wouldn't work. Um, I just really couldn't imagine that anyone would call in with anything. But then, much to my surprise and delight, I started to get some phone calls. Hi, I just seen a poster for in New Farm in Brisbane um, for... I think it was an English journalist who went missing 20 years ago. So this message is indicative of a lot of the messages I got. I think 99% of all of the messages I got, and I got a lot, were a lot like this one. As in, this woman sounds lovely, and she's obviously very well-intentioned, but um, maybe from an information standpoint, it's kind of useless. That's the first I've heard of them. But honestly, today on the boardwalk, there was a guy with blonde hair, tan kind of same shape of face as the guy on the poster and just off his rocker like he's got a trolley he's doing sit-ups he's videoing everything he's got a tripod just seems comfortable but not i don't know just if you live in the area even feel free to have a nosy this evening maybe it's him i don't know (laughs) cheers bye i actually know the guy she's talking about Uh, i think he's homeless but uh, he's also too young to be steven Stephen would be in his 50s now. This guy is probably like mid-30s. But it's only the first call that I got, and I got a few of them. And a few of them were were kind of compelling. So I decided to play them to someone who knew the case inside and out. So I contacted the guy who first received Stephen's missing person report in 2000. And that's Senior Sergeant Duncan Gorey from the Queensland Police Homicide Squad. Duncan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I've got some phone calls to play you. But before we get into that, I'd like to hear a little bit about your history with the case, Mm. what you've done, what you've uncovered. Yeah, sort of walk me through it. 
So he was reported missing on the 28th of July 2000, and I was a, a junior detective at the time and took statements off some of the friends. The thought was that he would show up, but at the same time, it was completely out of character for him to not to make contact with friends and family yeah. and to not attend work because he was he was a well-respected arborist, uh, highly trained and worked hard yeah. and worked consistently. So for him not to go to work was, was odd. So from what I've read just in like newspaper reports and stuff, the house, the apartment was in good order. His car was still in the garage. There was no indication that like the place had been ransacked or anything Correct. like that. Correct. Um, when it was forensically examined, it was quite unremarkable. Everything was neat. There was uh, clothing in the dryer. The car still contained all of Stephen's work equipment, chainsaws, ropes, harness, and had the paper from the the previous Sunday on the passenger seat. And um, as I said, it just seemed completely unremarkable and that nothing had happened in the unit. It seems he'd, he'd gone somewhere and something's happened outside. Okay, so by this point in the interview, I was pleased that I'd read the situation right. Duncan had confirmed that Stephen had just popped out of the house and vanished into thin air. But I wanted to get into some theories, so I started playing him the messages that I'd received. I've got three phone calls I want to play for you. Sure. So I didn't speak to any of these people. They just called in, usually after midnight, and they'd leave a message, and I had no idea where they were calling from or who they were. So this was the first interesting one that I got. And... Hello. Um, I met Stephen one time. Um, I knew his brother. He's an architect. And I met him at the pub here on Brunswick Street. This is about 1999. And then a month later, I saw him holding hands with a man um, walking down Brunswick Mall. And I just realized that he was a gay prostitute. Kind of a creepy little phone call, but, mm. but what do you think? Well, that's the first I've heard of any information to suggest that Stephen was a male prostitute. Um, it certainly hasn't come out in any other information we have. Like, Stephen does have a brother who lives in the, the UK, but I can't recall what he does. I mean, uh, like, I've obviously I've talked to a few friends about this because I'm like, I got this crazy phone call last night and I want to mm. get their thoughts on it. And one friend mentioned the uh, phenomena in the 80s of young gay men being thrown off the cliffs in Sydney. Mm. And he was suggesting that as a possible theory. Like, maybe if this guy was gay, he was murdered because, you know, homophobia or something. Mm. I don't know. What do you think of that? I think it's remote. Um, of all the, the murders we had in Fortitude Valley, um, there's certainly none. Uh, involving gay men or male prostitutes. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't strike me as someone who was sort of living on the fringes of society. Um, I'm not sure that's correct. Witnesses have told us that he was starting to mix in different circles, essentially leading a double life. He'd have his life uh, when he was an arborist and working professionally, and then he would have this other life from when he was knocking around Fortitude Valley New Farm, drinking heavily, involving himself in drugs, starting to use heroin, and was associating with prostitutes at the time as well, and visiting different boarding houses. 
I want to pause here for a minute and just acknowledge that Stephen's suddenly been revealed to be someone that I didn't anticipate. And not that I'm judging him, it's just that all of the reports on the on the internet were that he was like a real straight shooter. Um, but maybe not. At this point, I played Duncan another call. And I just want to say that for my money, this call here, the one that you're about to hear, this was the most interesting call that I got. G'day, my name's Liam. I know Stephen Goldsmith back in a long time ago. I sold amphetamines and uh, he used to come around. And he told me that there's someone chasing him. And now i just seen the picture and uh, I wondered what, where he went, what happened. I'm just telling you now, you're welcome to contact me. Bye-bye. What do you think of that? Witnesses have told us that uh, Stephen would source drugs off different people. Um, he, he would shop around until he could find someone who could uh, put him in touch with somebody to buy drugs. And he was described by one witness as a poly drug user. So um, some have told us that he was using heroin. Uh, this what witness told us he would use anything. So it's quite possible that he has approached this chap for, for um, speed. I feel like what I'm learning through this, through talking to you, is that... So first of all, I didn't know that Stephen was dabbling in heroin. I've had this impression of Stephen as a fairly law-abiding, nice young man. Um, and it feels to me like often in these cases, in missing persons cases, the reason that they've gone is this sort of hidden aspect of their life mm. that we don't know about in the headlines, that maybe their families don't know about either, mm. that sort of holds the key to the to the mysterious part of their story. That we don't like they've gone, we don't know why, but it's essentially because we don't know really fully who they were. Yes. What do you what do you think of that? Well that's the these sorts of investigations reveal a lot of different aspects of people's lives. Everything comes out of the woodwork eventually. So Stephen was definitely living a double life. He had his professional life and then he had his, his after-hours life, which was at polar opposite ends of the perception and the day-to-day Stephen Goldsmith. He was a different, different person after hours. How, how have his family taken learning this? Uh, they were aware. The friends, his friends and associates, have spoken to his parents. Got it. So Stephen's family are aware of his double life. I said at the start that this episode is about trying to answer the question, what happens to people who go missing? And by talking to Duncan, we were getting into this theme about secret double lives. And I was curious whether that's a significant factor in a lot of these cases. So I googled the words missing person secret double life just to see what would happen. And immediately, I found dozens of articles reporting all kinds of cases from around Australia and around the world. And just so you know what I mean, here's the top four headlines that Google came out with. Missing woman Carol War may have led a secret double life. Inquest finds missing army officer may have led a secret double life. Man who disappeared from Toronto's gay village led a secret life. How a Sydney grandmother hid her true identity and then disappeared. So, do you see what I mean? Sure, it's very anecdotal, but people who go missing sometimes seem to have a secretive element to their identities, just something that they wouldn't tell their parents. 
I wanted to dig into this further because, yes, there's a lot of literature out there on non-missing people. Uh, I'm not the first person to ask some questions around this. So I did some real research and found some really interesting stuff, particularly published by the Australian Institute of Criminology. One report in particular is called Missing Persons, Who Is at Risk? And you can find this online if you're interested. And it basically goes through all of the risk factors that lead people to disappear. And sure, there's no part in the report that expressly says, a secret double life is a risk factor, but maybe there are some correlations. So check this out. By far the most common factor for going missing is being, and this is in quotation marks, vulnerable due to age or infirmity, meaning that people who go missing, they're often children, you know, they get lost because they've jumped the fence and they don't know where they are, or they're old, they're elderly people and, you know, they got dementia or something. Now, these factors appear in half of all cases. And after that, Mental illness shows up in a third of cases, while another third are in care facilities or, or a special accommodation. So they're the three big buckets. But after that, the factors disperse into a range of a lot more kind of lifestyle patterns. Um, there's a lot of drug and alcohol dependency. Uh, another serious thing is recent family abuse or ongoing bullying or harassment. And to take it back to the Stephen thing, I mean, as we just discovered, he was dabbling in heroin, which certainly comes with some occupational health and safety issues, uh, and he was possibly facing some kind of harassment. If we're to believe that phone call that we listened to before, then yeah, his life was being threatened. So maybe Stephen too would fit some of the criteria that this report is laying out, uh, even though it's not specifically saying a secret double life is a risk. But more interestingly, and this goes back to the thing I was talking about at the very start of the show about the photos, the sadness that I'm seeing in these images is real. Because a lot of these people, they're actually leading difficult, fairly unhappy lives. You know, if, if drug and alcohol dependency or family abuse or bullying is a causation in a lot of these cases, then the sadness, it's really there. And, and for Stephen too, because I guess even though his parents seem to love him and he seems pretty healthy and, and all that sort of stuff... For whatever reason, he was drifting towards something darker, which possibly led to his disappearance. So, Duncan, what's your theory? Like, what's happened to Stephen? We don't know. Um, I think there's there's one of three scenarios, I think. One, he's had an accident and something's happened and we haven't been able to find his body. Two, he's perhaps overdosed and somebody's disposed of his body. Or three, he's been murdered and somebody's disposed of his body. I don't think he's just simply miss, missing. He's certainly not suicidal. He doesn't fit in into any of the other demographic or categories for why people go missing, but for him to just vanish around the 10th of July 2000, it, it's just completely out of character, and there's no, no reason for him to go missing unless there's been some other intervention. Hey, we're just going to stop here for a quick ad break, but stick around. We'll be right back with more What It Was Like. Hold up. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How often do you find yourself thinking about this case, just sort of mulling it over in your head, like on weekends or like? Oh, occasionally you'll think about it. You know, if I drive past past his address, you drive down Merthyr Road, you drive past the boarding house he used to visit. Um, so yeah, it's it's always there in the back of your mind, I suppose. Do you have a dream about this case? I wouldn't say I dream about it. I sleep fairly soundly these days, but. Yeah, some sometimes it'll pop in your head in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I imagine I imagine in your career you've seen all sorts of horrible things. You know, you've seen the sort of best and worst of people. Mm. What is it aside from the fact that it's unsolved? What is it about this case that that's stuck with you? It's just the the not knowing and the frustration of not knowing what's occurred and just wanting to solve it for the sake of the family, so that they can find out what's occurred, and for the for Stephen's friends as well. Mm. They're in the same boat. They went from having regular contact with him to just nothing 
like a, a switch went off and all of a sudden he's not around anymore. I think Duncan hit the nail on the head that, um, that the Stephen Goldsmith button got turned off and he ceased to exist. And like I said at the start, that just makes me feel uncomfortable. It's this thing that people shouldn't just vanish. You know, um, there's this bigger truth, I think, that, that no one's really in charge. When you're a kid, you think that, oh, the adults are in charge. And then you become an adult yourself and you realize that actually, no, that we're all just overgrown kids and, and there's no real adults around. And, and sure, we've got laws and governments, but, but there's still this pervasive thread of chaos in the world that will always be there. And, and sometimes people just disappear down that little crack in the floor. And, and it, yeah, it, it makes me feel uneasy. But I got to say, something happened after talking to Duncan. Remember that drug dealer, the guy who said that he knew Stephen? So I kept calling him. Every few days, I'd call him again, I'd call him again. And one day, I was sitting in my car, and I just thought, I'll call him. And um, yeah, he answered. Hello, Liam speaking. Hey, Liam. Uh, my name's Julian Morgan. Oh, okay. I know you're looking for Stephen. That's it. That's me. Okay. Are you a journalist? Yeah, so so I, well, I've got a podcast. I've got a podcast. Yeah, you tell me, man. You tell me because I know about uh, Stephen. All right, so I found the story about Stephen on the internet. I started putting posters up around, and um. Well, I seen your poster. That's why it takes you. Um, so I'm a chef, man, but I'm um, like in back in the day, I used to I used to be a rat bag and be a chef and sell gear as well. <laughs> and Stephen used to come to the back kitchen back door and, and uh. There's a number, so all I can say to you is there's a number of times that he told me that someone was chasing him, and the next minute Stephen was dead. Did he ever say who was chasing him? No, man, and I never asked. I don't ask for names. Did he ever? It's not polite. <laughs> That's true. Did Did he ever give any indication of like what kind of person it was? Was it like a drug dealer, or was it like a? Well, well. He always described him as a friend, but he said, oh, and, um, you know, I'll try his verbatim, but uh, he always said that he was a mate of his, but he wanted him, he wanted him. And and, and then, like, um, I never seen Stephen again. And I seen your poster, and uh, obviously, Stephen died in 1996, was it? Uh, he disappeared in 2000. 2000, okay, yeah, well, the last time I seen him was in 1996, but they were chasing him from then. Shit, okay. Yeah, yeah, so he did well to last 2000, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's one way of looking at it. That's right, he actually did pretty well. Uh, okay. Well, he, he was resilient. He was a resilient fellow. <laughs> what makes you say that? Uh, because... Um... Well, we were in a couple of situations together, and um, and I didn't know him from a bar of soap. Really, I was just selling fucking drugs, and um, and and it, you know, shit happens, and and he fucking backed me up, and we passed on with people that he never even knew. So I think he was a resilient soap fellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds resilient to me. It's um, uh, uh, and and well, no, he's especially resilient if he lasted four years when he told me that um. Dudes were looking for him, so could I, could I meet him down in, under the, this is before the Alex Swiss world, so he used to ask me to meet me down uh, under the Story Bridge. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. 
And what what would he buy? What was his drug of choice? Uh, I don't know if I'm comfortable to tell you that. Yeah, look, I understand. All right, so he just disappeared one day. You no, it's him. totally crazy, yeah, but it's fact. Yeah, I mean, it's really sad. So so you never heard that he died? You just you didn't know until no, I... No, 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 I just never heard from him again. And then I'm walking the other day because, like, you know, I fixed my life up and stopped doing bad shit and um, became a chef. And I'm walking past and seeing your, seeing your little poster on a or a thing down at New Farm. Yeah, wow. Wow. And I was like, whoa, wow. that's Damon. Shit, I should call this fellow. <laughs> well, man, I'm so yeah. I'm so happy that you called. I'm going to go. Ciao. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to go, man. Yeah, no worries. Hey, Liam, can I call you back some other time? This call totally took me by surprise. Firstly, because the dates match up. You know how I said Stephen first came to Australia in the mid-90s before he moved over here permanently? Well, uh, Stephen was in the country at the time. And also, I guess because the guy had no incentive to lie. But what I think was really interesting was that the various scenarios that Duncan offered, um, that maybe Stephen had OD'd or maybe he'd had an accident, you know, by far the most concerning one was that Stephen was murdered. And this guy was suggesting that, yeah, it's a murder case, and that's, you know, it's a little creepy. I actually played this message to a few friends and and family, and all of them had the same reaction. And a friend of mine actually said, and I quote, Julian, you've got to stop chasing ghosts because this is not going to end well. Um, And there was something about that phrasing, chasing ghosts, that put a nice little, just a nice little tingle up my spine, like, oof, okay, yeah. I I kind of overlooked the idea that I might be onto a murder case. Um. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I passed on the recording to Duncan, and, and he's looking into it. And so we're getting to the end of the show here, but, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to keep chipping away at this case, and if something juicy comes through, we'll do another episode. And I'd love it if you helped. You know, if there's anyone listening to this show who lives in Brisbane, uh, and especially if you lived in Brisbane in the year 2000 and you were partying and maybe you're in the drug scene um, and maybe you knew Stephen, please get in touch. Julian Morgans, all one word, and my Instagram DMs are wide open. Or you can also hit up the professionals. You can contact Crime Stoppers on 1-800-333-000. And I just want to finish by reading the most recent message that Stephen's mom left on the Facebook page. Because I know that for any casual podcast listener, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that a family lost their son and and their brother. 
and I know that Stephen's family have spent two decades looking for him. Uh, they declined to be interviewed in this show. Stephen's dad's actually quite sick these days, but Stephen's mom still dutifully maintains a Facebook page in the hope that some information might come to light. So I'm just going to read this little post here, and it was from July 2023, and here's what it reads. Special thoughts today to our eldest son, Stephen, on the anniversary of his disappearance 23 years ago. He is much loved and missed by his family and friends, who never give up on the hope that one day we will know what has happened to him. All of our love, Mum, Dad, and Ian. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you're thinking, hey, I've got a story that's uh, that's pretty cool, something that could work for this show, you know, something interesting but surprising, a little bit unique, please get in touch, hit me up. I'm always looking for story suggestions or feedback or, you know, whatever you got. I'm Julian Morgans on Instagram and Morgans Julian on X. And you know what? We'd love you to follow the show. You know the, the follow button on whatever your podcast app is? Just press that. We'll be eternally grateful. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Just a just a simple five stars should do it. You don't even have to overthink it. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Tuffrey. It was edited and mixed by Nicholas Feliciano. Jimmy Saunders did our theme music. Our cover art is by Naomi Lee Beveridge. And this whole thing has been a super real production. Super real.